0: Welcome to another episode of DLT's Continuous X podcast, where we attempt to solve for X in the SDLC equation. My name is Rick Stewart, DLT's Chief Software Technologist, and joining me is my co-host and colleague, Mike Fitzurka, Senior Sales Engineer for our Application Lifecycle Technologies. Today's guest is Kevin Green, Director of Security Solutions at Microsoft. Kevin is a subject matter expert as it relates to secure coding, SecOps, and best practices for ensuring high-quality software delivery. Welcome, Kevin.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you all having me on. I'm very excited to talk about uh, software security, DevSecOps. I, mean, I could talk about this stuff for days, so am very excited.
2: Excellent. Fantastic. I love having another coder on board. <laughs> we, we interview other people. Someone who's coding. Awesome.
0: Before we begin, I wanted to allow Kevin the opportunity to relay his interesting background we discussed when we first started working together. And how it not only bolsters his bona fides to today's discussion, but also displays his keen insight to technical solutions. So, uh, Kevin, um, just a real quick pat on the, pat on your own back.
1: That's I appreciate that. Um, um, if you if we go from beginnings, I, I think um, I have a very interesting path of, of of doing cyber and being involved in cyber. Uh, if you go back to my days at ENY. Uh, I was at ENY doing pen testing, ethical hacking at the time. This is like early ninety early early nineties. No. Mm. Late nineties, I should say. Late nineties. And at the time at EY, we had a we had a host of characters and a really talented group of people there. So you had Stuart McClure was there, uh, who was at uh, Silence. I think they were acquired by I forgot about who. Uh George Kurtz was there from CrowdStrike. Uh the guys who founded um, bound was there. So we had a really good uh, mix of talent. And I really enjoyed that experience because it was something where I was able to work with different clients doing pen testing and helping do vulnerability assessments. So uh, that kind of helped start my career and in, in, in the passion for cyber and wanted to take it to the next level. I'm going to fast forward a little bit to my uh, days at DHS because I think uh, those are the most recent years and I think I'm probably most proud of. Um, Being able to be an employee in the federal government, serve this nation, um, help, you know, lead uh, the charge and provide leadership around software security and software assurance and really, um, you know, put key initiatives in place to kind of push forward not only the state of practice, but the state of the art. Uh, There, I was working in uh, the Science and Technology Directorate in the Cybersecurity Division. I ran um, an R&D program around software assurance. Uh, so, things come to mind like the Software Assurance Marketplace, aka Swamp. Uh, hybrid Analysis is something that I funded. It was a research project that I funded. Uh, I was very proud of. Initially, did did it as a CBR. Um I, I did, you know, obviously, you have your SIBR, your phase one, your phase two, you have to down select. Uh, I was so, I thought this technology was so important. I wanted to hedge my bets, and I funded two Sibbers, right? And funny thing is, both of the work that came out of the program, Hi- hybrid analysis mapping, um, were commercialized by a company called CodeDx, and the other is called Denim Group. Mm-hmm. Uh, they both since have been acquired. One with Codex was acquired by Synopsys, and Denim Group was acquired by cofire So I'm proud of that. I'm proud of that, right? Research that I initially initiated. Um, my ideas was you know commercialize the transition um, into you know we got over the the valley of death and it's in an operational environments. people are using it. so taxpayer dollars are being, are benefiting from that, right? And it gives it increases the adoption and it gets technology in the hands of folks who need it the most. So uh, my time at DHS was very important and really helping shaping um, and provide, providing leadership in not only government but also across industry. And just trying to um, help people um, think outside the box about how we should address some of the challenges we see in software security. Um, some of the language that we see in executive order uh, funded, made its way through s and, and and my program and, and some of the other program managers that was there. Uh, we see some of the language there that still remains around how do we improve software security. So that was one of the... One of the better parts of my career that where I was really enjoying and being in the leadership position. And from there, I went to MITRE. Um, I've worked on several key sponsor organizations helping to formalize DevSecOps. Uh, I also worked on an attack project. Uh, so I had some really good experience and, I'm, and I think it's valuable in, in kind of where we are now as we see the landscape around software security.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And um, I know you're far too modest for, for, for me to, uh, uh Kind of relay that, and um, so I appreciate you, guys, you uh, giving me your background, and um, so that we can set the table for the the discussions. And as our viewers know, this forum is Q and A style. Uh, but what Kevin doesn't know that each incorrect answer will cost him to have to sit through the women's gymnastics ribbons performance in the Tokyo <laughs> Olympics. So
2: t- what's t- wrong with can- the ribbons performance?
1: <laughs> 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 Nothing if you like that. I can multitask, so that's fine. <laughs> so, so you've Kevin, just given him I, I the
2: license to get, do all wrong answers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if Kevin accepts the challenge, which I assume you do, uh, I'll start the questioning. Oh, hi,
1: hi, <laughs> <is, is> that... <laughs>
0: Fantastic. Uh, with the cultural advancement from DevOps to DevSecOps, our, our audience is given the directives, given the directives to shift left to... their security or sure, even implement even a zero-trust zero architecture. Trust. architecture. What advice can you provide to improve their development and delivery process to help them meet these
1: goals? I think shift left, you know, a lot of times people use it as a catchy marketing term. Um, And I I think there's some true meaning to it, right? If we think about what it means to build security in um, Mm -hmm. and shift left. But But with the recent attacks and things that have been happening, some things I've been thinking about, I'd rather say push left. Right. And I think when I say push left, I mean, there's so much things we learn from the right, you know, things that we learn from the operational aspect that never makes its way back to developer. It never makes it back into a developer's daily activities. So they are aware of what could go wrong. They are aware of their, the, the consequences of their coding and refactoring activities in creating uh, an attack surface or exposing an ex- attack surface. Or creating bugs that can expose vulnerabilities. So I do. There's things that we can learn that continuous learning feedback loop where where we are doing pen testing on the right side of of of, of how we build software delivery process. We're doing pen testing. We're using things like threat modeling and and threat intelligence to learn right or what could go wrong and really understand how adversaries are trying to attack and how do we codify that back into design. Right? We want to make sure we have a good design. Why? The design is is necessary because we need to build the the essential things into uh, software, right? One of the key things that I talk about a lot lot is is building some of these key principles around uh, software minimalism, making sure we're only building software with the essential things that we need, right? Reducing the attack surface, having design where we're reducing the attack surface. We're depreciating uh, APIs and endpoints that that we are not using, right? We're, We're... enforcing least privilege, all these things are built into the act of design. And then from there, we can then implement design correctly in code by understanding the consequences of things that could go wrong, right? How adversaries are trying to attack and having an understanding of, of the different techniques and tactics that adversaries are using uh, to try to uh, you know, compromise our, our, our environments, our software. Uh, the SolarWinds really showed us a lot of things and right? I think there's things that we can learn from these attacks. If we were able to do tabletop exercises, right, with developers as part of awareness and training for developers, right? I think being defensive-minded in terms of how we code and develop deliver software is important. I always say that secure coding and secure design is our first line of defense, right? And then I think if we take that mentality, that would it really truly means that shift left, right? We're we're building it in from the onset, right? Um, and it's more than just a catchy phrase. The entire team is thinking about ways in which An adversary can attack and compromise their environment and your software. So I think that's to me is shift left, and I think zero architecture is something that that plays on that in terms of reducing software minimalism, uh, least privilege. You know, only giving you know access to to what is needed, and really protecting critical infrastructure and critical resources that we we see are so important that adversaries are are looking for. They're lurking and trying to find these things um, on the network and in the software. So I think it's important to leverage, not only zero trust, but also the mentality about building it in, which to me really, what it truly means to shift left.
0: I think that poses a challenge in the public sector. And from my standpoint, uh, I I agree with 100% of what you said is, you know, try to minimize what you're doing with a service, a workload, et cetera. But sometimes that comes to loggerheads with some of the contract award and provisioning, where they're telling you what the requirements are, trying to do it ahead of time, Um, They're now adapting the agile principles of, you know, painting the broad bus pictures and let, you know, knowledge be gained during that process. But I think in in legacy types of provisioning, they tell you exactly what to do. And so halfway through it, you're you're providing a lot of different services that really add no value and they're not evaluating that value and thus prevent or, or increasing your chance of a threat because you're creating services that really aren't necessary. So I, I, think, um, I think your point is very apt.
1: I like the yeah, term- I um, regard, Now I think also in that regard, in terms of legacy stuff, we just have to, just have to be aware of our consumption of, of technical debt, right? Agreed. And not accumulate too much technical debt. And, and that has been one of my biggest concerns about just software security, where we're heading. I, I just think that a lot of times we, we're building software fast, uh, with Dev Dev DevOps and DevSecOps, and I think we have the we have the. There's a possibility of creating vulnerabilities at a faster pace, right? And I think we yeah. need to be aware of that. Uh, and, and but my biggest concern is I'm not sure we're paying down technical debt fast enough, and I think at some point it's going to come back and it's gonna it's gonna we're going to see a catastrophic catastrophic attacks, and we're starting to see that now with Solar Winds and some other things. I think
2: most products. They 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 start traditional development and then they go into DevSecOps and they they already start with a mountain of of technical debt and then they just start running faster and without and, and technical debt is is uh you know, maybe we need to have a national product technical debt <laughs> you know, for the product something that measures technical the investment re- at all. Month? Yes. Yes, <laughs> gotta pay down the debt. Um <laughs> But it's uh, it's true. And I like that concept of push left because that gives shift left always gives says it's to me like gives pushes the risk makes it the responsibility of the developer. Yes, the developer needs to be um, like that first line of defense, but the knowledge that's gained uh, during that entire operations phase, if the development's not in part part of that, that's knowledge that That needs to get transferred that needs to get pushed I like that concept. Right. Like to that me, concept. that
1: context is important, right? That context yeah. is important. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times I want to be a developer advocate. And I think a lot of times we poo-poo the developers all the time, right? So much is, is pushed down on the developers. Uh, they don't want to know security, but whatever the case may be, the friction that exists in organizations between devs and AppSec teams is is increasingly, is growing. We've seen it, right? We're, we're starting to see that in, in a lot of different studies that are being done by mm-hmm. different Third parties, but one of the things I think is important is as you mentioned is I think having the developers aware right and pushing that back right through you know pat, pushing left I should say uh, where the developers can understand I think is the more they understand, I think the more they'll be aware right and they and, they, and then they, and it guides their their coding and refactoring activities right yep. and the goal really is to push that information into their daily activities where it's seamless right they they're aware of everything that could go wrong as you're coding, right? And I think that's important to do uh, because I do think that um, you know it's it's a team effort, right? Collaboration is a huge fundamental principle around DevOps. And so I think the collaboration part is very important.
0: Yeah, and I think you know making developers better or even like growing them as junior developers into more senior developers, if you instill this can go wrong, so these are the things that you need to think about, that's what they think about while they're coding, and while they're designing, and while they're putting their uh, their their products, their workloads together, so I, I I wholeheartedly agree.
2: Nothing made me a better programmer than being woken up at two a.m. on a support <laughs> call. Like, okay, I'm gonna make I'm gonna do better next time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, a lot of attention's uh, moving moving on uh, to the next question. Um, a lot of attention is always given to the shiny new languages. Um, and the web-based platforms. However, there's a significant amount of uh, C and C++ um, applications out in the government. And um, some of, some developers have had a renewed interest in looking at C because of their optimal resource usage and the millisecond startup time as maybe a basis for microservices. Uh, do you have any guidance for our C++ enthusiasts slash holdouts?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I, we're becoming more and more a connected world. So IoT is exploding, right? I don't even remember the 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 astronomical numbers in terms of devices that will be here in 2021, but I, I've seen a, like different reports, some astro, astronomical numbers. So we're seeing the explosion of connected systems with that with IoT, right? So that that lends itself to to the, using a more you know and you know language that's support around embedded, right? And then the biggest one is just around what the military is doing, right? I think the, the expanded market. The, I think right now the 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 estimated market is one point four billion around embedded systems. Yeah, and I think in, that was in twenty 2020. twenty. In twenty twenty five, this was to get to two point one. So a lot of that has has really affected and, and changed how we are doing development. And I think developers are now, hey, we we gotta go where it's hot. We gotta go where the jobs are, we gotta go where the, the cool, innovative things are, are being created. And I think IoT and as well as the mission supporting the, the military is 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 contributing to the 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 shining object, well not the social shiny object because we we are aware what C and C is, right? Because we you know, it's it's, it's older language. It's not, it's, you know, right. So it's been around. But I also think that, um, um, because you know, military has to get capabilities out to war fighters and so forth and so on to support their mission. Um, there's more innovation we're seeing in, in in that long along those lines, as well as the improvements in in how. Uh, processing technology and stuff makes it cheaper for hardware, right? better hardware, right? We were seeing the cost of hardware going down for embedded systems. So it becomes more of an attractive solution for people. So one of the things I think is important to really understand is, like, you know, around DevOps and trying to build faster and deliver software um, and making sure we align our our cadence with mission Mission resiliency, right? So, so we're not trying to build too fast, right? But we're offering capabilities to warfighters and and those in the field at a, at a steady pace, where they can stay ahead of the the competition and, and compete in in that very competitive space around military um, systems. So, I think it's important that um, that we do that. And I think as at Parasoft, we realized that and we participated in in DOD's. Uh, Iron Bank solutions. So we have our containerized C, C analyzer available uh, within DoD. Uh, so people who want to formalize uh, some static analysis capability doing testing early for developers or integrate it into their existing pipeline, I mean, they can pull down our containerized C and C analyzer and use it to formalize software assurance. I think that's important to, to realize because I think people are moving closer more and more to C and C++ and they need to have ways to kind of build better software. And I think that's one of the ways to do it. You do it early and you do it often.
0: I, it's a great answer because I, I, I know um, I even, wasn't even thinking about the IOT devices. Um, I know there's a plethora of, of um, legacy systems that are still C, C++ oriented, um, which is great for Parasoft because I think you've, you've hit on a, um, a niche um, that still needs to be looked at. I mean, they still have vulnerabilities, so they still need to be identified. And they Absolutely. still are useful workloads uh, within the public sector, but your IoT devices are uh, the that's that's app two because you know that's the reason why we went to IPv6 um,
1: <laughs> right, because right. we're running out of IP addresses. Right. Um, and, so, and, and not not to mention the other industries that are there that in that yeah. right yeah. medical devices, automotive, like I mean, there's yep. there's a you know I don't want to say don't call it a comeback, but <laughs> <laughs>
2: but, <laughs> They've been here for years.
1: <laughs> right, been here for years, right? C and C++. But I do think it speaks to, to the trends in the market. And, you know, you look at military, you look at IoT, I think those are key, key indicators of, of, of why C and C++ is here to stay. Terrific.
0: We hope you enjoyed your, our conversation with Kevin Green from Parasoft. We've had such a great conversation with him that we decided to split this podcast into two. Please join us soon for part two of this conversation. Thank you for your time and attention, as always, in our Continuous X podcast, where we continue to solve for X in the SDLC equation.